Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a monster exploration podcast where we take a look at monsters from their inceptions to their current pop culture incarnations. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and I am joined today by Leonard. Hello. Hi. Hi, everyone. Happy, happy new year, everyone. I'm here. We're, we're all here. The we are all here. Cameron is also here. Hi, everybody. It's 2022. Oh, God. The numbers just keep going up. Big number. They they do. Uh, we're not... We're a, a little... little over a month away from the next anniversary of the podcast. And we'll, we're almost rolling into year six. So that's... Oh, wow. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> we're still going. Uh, so <laughs> yep, somehow we are still here because there's always more monsters. Mm -hmm. So today we are taking a look at one uh, tale by uh, author Laird Barron, and it's from the collection The Imago Sequence, and that particular story is Procession of the Black Sloth. So this one, uh, I I hand-picked it. Um, mostly because I've been wanting mm. to cover uh, a barren tale for a while, um, for a couple years, actually. Uh, <laughs> and we just kind of got around to it, just mm. made it a thing. Uh, this came out originally, I believe, in um, 2007. So that's, yeah, that's when the, yes. the collection was published. And it was also available... Um, uh, or it still is available um, on the publisher website. Um, it's a, as a sample chapter, but it's it's the whole story. Mm. Uh, and I think that this is as an example of Baron's works. Like it contains the the whole of his. Um, horror like tropes the things that he's known for are all present in this story and so i yeah mostly why i picked it also because it's it's um asian horror film adjacent and mm -hmm, i mm -hmm. i like that um genre and we've we've discussed a few of those films in the past uh which i do that just makes me kind of want to watch them again uh the whale yeah mimic oh yeah um, absolutely we did. We did. Uh, Pulse. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> we haven't done. I saw. I was reading off the podcast, but reading the uh, the original um, Ring novels, uh, and had gone through and watched all the films. And I was trying to figure out if I wanted to like dig into that, <laughs> but it's it would take a while. Um, yeah. And the the books are to be a saga. Yeah, and they're not. Um, they're not super long, but they're very dense because it's more mm. about like the protagonist's like process of dealing with everything. So I don't really think that as like individual dives they're necessary, but maybe as a lump thing. Uh, and then maybe looking at the Gore Verbinski um, remakes with uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar. I don't know. We'll... Uh, We'll bat that around. It'll probably just get shuffled into the to-do pile that we'll never get to because we have a lot of to-do <laughs> pile. Anyway, yeah. um, 
I I can at least attest to one thing, which is if we do end up covering um, a ring and ring adjacent media, we will not be c- covering the terrible Dreamcast game Ring Terror's <laughs> Realm um, because oh, no. that because that game is trash, and I didn't realize <laughs> until recently that it was actually directly connected to the Ringu series. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, they, there's a lot of um, side media for those, uh, but I think maybe something in the vein of the first film, the second film, because the second one is it's it's a different look at what's going on. It's like taking a different direction, um, really harping on like the virus angle, uh, and mm. then looking at the books because the books. Uh, as an adaptation, the the films aren't directly from the book. They took a lot of they did a little of little adjustments, um, so they're not as disparate as uh, the the Parasite Eve um, movie and novel. Though those are completely different, mm-hmm. but uh, they're, oh, they're, right. they're kind right. of in that in that realm. So I think looking at those and looking at something like uh, the Siren series like the first incarnation of it and maybe um the uh what is the with the camera obscura mm-hmm. fatal, oh, frame. fatal frame yeah. fatal frame yeah so like snippets like that like a time to go oh here's a, you know an en- entry in each of these they're not connected but they're like thematically there's some things kind of going on so that that could be fun right um but that's that's more on the back end of things. Um, rolling back along to the, the main topic, the procession of the black sloth. Uh, th- so I, th- I believe both for both of you, this was the first time you read this story. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. What, uh, Cameron, what was your like initial uh, impression of this? <clears throat> um, I think I agree with the, with the sort of Asian horror film-esque-ness of it. Uh, it definitely gave me that impression. It was <coughs> really interesting to, to dive into because um, while it's a short story, it is relatively dense. It's very descriptive. Uh, I don't think I've read anything of Baron's before, so this is sort of my first dive into his particular writing style. Um, I really liked it, first impressions. Um, it's not completely straightforward. Um, it It... It doesn't, you know, explicitly spell out every single thing by the end of the story. There's room for speculation and interpretation. Um, And it has just tons and tons of, like, evocative imagery, um, including the titular Black Sloth, which is kind of just great. Um, I I I love it when the Black Sloth stuff comes up in the story. Um, And, you know, it's a... Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> and Leonard, how about you? Uh, yes, this is uh, my my first foray uh, into um, uh, barons. Barons. Mm-hmm. I'm the names names Teflon off. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it. Yeah, it was my. Um, yeah, I have thoughts about this, and but I did enjoy reading it. Um, the uh, 
Asian horror uh, is is definitely present and you know uh, reinforced by uh, where the story is is located. Um, it, yeah, it was a it was a interesting read, and I'm I'm interested in reading more of his work. And I guess we can get into the specifics of it as we discuss this. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so for me, this is read number three, uh, I think, of this particular story. Um, but they've all been fairly recent. Uh, I. Some. Sadly, I guess, or I guess it's still fortunate um, coming across his work when I did, but um, it's been recent in in the last five years or so um, that I read them and was like, oh, I I, I have been remiss. Like, where where was I when this was, you know, extant twenty years ago? <laughs> For a lot of mm. these stories, I think like two thousand three or so was his first publication, and um, I was like, man, I really would have enjoyed these just the same like if i had read them sooner um but they uh nothing's changed to where they felt like they're contemporary because um primarily uh baron's works bounce around in time and he's with it with a few um uh not really too much of an exception but um they're, they're fairly historical like he takes the time mm. to do the research of like whatever age he's writing in. And uh, uh, aside from a few bits of like dialogue, um, they're, they're like period accurate. Uh, and then those, mm. those word choices are always very like particular. So when things pop up and, and they are anachronistic, it's like for a, for a reason. Mm. Usually, yeah. because the 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 narrators can become unreliable, like as the stories yeah. go, which kind of happens in this one. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get into that. Um, this particular tale is the story of one Royce Hawthorne, and he is a um, a business. Uh, Buy uncover. I there's the name for the job he does, and it's just yeah. gone from my mind. He he goes in uh, and he looks for people that are doing insider trading and um, espionage. He's like uncovering espionage. Yeah, I mm. think he's like a corporate espionage specialist. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, there's a name for it, but it, that's what he does. Adjuster. Just, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> And he's being sent to um, a Hong Kong branch of a, um, a, a Georgia a company in Georgia, the, the United States, Georgia, not the, the other state. Uh, and it's he's going to Hong Kong to uh, to ferret out a, a potential mole um, in the, the the Hong Kong branch of Caltech. He's being sent, I think, by a mm. subsidiary company. Um, yeah. At um, Bao, Bao Tech, I think, something like that, and mm. uh, the his his journey to do so is um, it's kind of off kilter from the beginning, and then it just goes off the rails. Um, but some of that is it's harder to parse, mainly because he admits um, that when he's doing his his undercover work. 
Um, he gets like lost sometimes in the role he's doing and mm-hmm. it's leading a double life has like messed him up like mm. over time just pretending to be different people all the time um yeah it's like he's just he loses a sense of himself a bit and you'll find himself doing weird stuff so when weird things crop up like that's the initial um uh, hand wave of it is like he's already not trusting himself a little bit mm. and so it 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 uh it, it devolves from there um uh, uh, as we were trying to, you know, ferret out uh, his his job title from our memories, I was <laughs> I was suddenly reminded, oh, he's kind of like a, a a more messed up version of the protagonist from uh, the stuff. <laughs> if anyone, yeah, if <laughs> yeah, <from> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's that exact thing. He's he's sent in, mm. um and has to pretend he's i think he's pretending to be a or he's not pretending he's doing the work the other work the um qa work quality assurance yeah yeah so he's doing that job plus his like trying to ferret out um who may potentially be leaking um million multi-millions of uh um, corporate secrets to someone else right Mm. Yeah. Oh, and if you want a if you want a less favorable comparison, he's also like every Neil Breen film protagonist as well. So, mm. yeah, I think as far as like likability is concerned, I I don't like. I don't think you're supposed to, but I don't like Royce Hawthorne. Like he's not. Oh no, a good, not at all. He's not a good person. Uh, mm. and that. But he's relatable is the thing. Uh, in, in, in a sense, he? in a sense, well, in a sense that his <laughs> his um, failings are understandable. Yes, yes, I mm. agree. Yeah. I, I agree. So relatable, maybe the wrong word. Understa- yes, you you get where he's you get where he's at and why he's there um, mm. because he's. Yeah, He's like soft corrupt. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But but he knows it. And he's willing to accept that. There's a there's yeah. a bit where he's um wondering if uh the the two gentlemen heading the, the main corporation are um going to offer him a bribe. And it's mm. sa- initially it sounds uh, yes, like he's, he's- waiting for them to do that and then like call him out on it but he's more like actually i've used these these kind of things to finance like my sweet car my penthouse like all kinds of stuff that he's... pay off my college loans yeah so <laughs> he's the the he's taking the graft like mm. no, no questions asked um uh, and and you know we it's it's interesting because he 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 seems to have um have some level of scruples when it comes to his work but certainly doesn't sound like any of his personal life uh, uh mm. has has that level of, of of like reflection like he's like uh yeah sure i'll i'll you know i'll take a little side money um but i'm still doing my job according to 
my employers. And then earlier, literally at the beginning of the story, we're like, he's like, yeah, thinking to himself and says, uh, you know, I, I, I was stalking my, my co- college ex. And I'm like, oh, okay. So this is, this is the weird boundary stuff that we're going to be doing right mm. off the bat, which is, he, you know, uh, I take my job seriously, but like when it comes to anything that actually affects my personal life, like I don't have any real yeah. boundaries. Yeah, there's a, there's a sense of, um, he doesn't feel guilty for doing like, things that are maybe morally wrong or ethically wrong. Like Mm. he doesn't have that sense, but he does know it's wrong. Mm. So he's acknowledging like, yeah, I've done bad things, but like, I don't care really about it. Like other, no, it's, I think it's more that it's not that he doesn't care, but in comparison to other people, he's still better. Like other people are doing way worse things, so it, my level of bad is like excusable. He's yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not stealing millions of dollars. It's only like a thousand dollars, and I'm yeah. not stealing it. I'm just being asked. Uh, yeah, to, I'm. You know, it was given to me. Give a heads Why, up. I would be right. stupid to say like to turn that down. Like that's I. Mm. You know, I'm here to do a job, <laughs> and so what if I get a little cash on the side? Like that just makes the trip all worth it. So he's yeah, he's like excusing, exactly. he's making excuses for um, his like failings, mm. which becomes a problem, or it ha- <laughs> had already become a problem. I think is the case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, the story itself opens up on his flight into Hong Kong, and we're treated to like a very visceral uh, bit of weird. Uh, where he's he's discussing, um, like not really his job, but he's he's like putting up with a another passenger's life stories and excuses yes. himself to to use the restroom, and we get a phenomenal like things are wrong because in in the bathroom that there's the whole there's a flickering light, the lights turn off, and then he's just seeing weird crap in the mirror. Uh, mm. it's all it's He's laid having out having a PT moment yeah yeah um, <laughs> like quite literally um, mm. there's there's gore in the sink and the mm. the toilet uh, <laughs> bits of what could be scalped and a jawbone um, yeah it's, it's all lovingly described um, so something's up and the story itself kind of continues in that vein and gives us like clips of time. Like the, the, the timeline is flowing forward, but he loses track of days. And some of that is attributed to his job is the same thing. And it's very monotonous and he's just reviewing camera footage over and over, you know, Mm. endlessly trying to pick out when someone may have been trying to steal something. Yeah. So it's just like that kind of grind and he's just each day might as well made as well been the day before. And he's doing a lot of parties and he's falling back into drinking and all those kind of things. So Mm. that wears down on him, but it serves Mm -hmm. to kind of like, 
very it's, it's lubricating the sense of time to the point where like yeah. if it slips a little bit you're just like okay that's just a, it, you know these days didn't mean anything so now it's some weeks later mm. uh but as things go like that becomes it becomes a little bit more apparent that that's kind of not what's happening <laughs> and uh his his narration is um it's faulty because you can't he can't mm. trust himself which means you can't trust him yeah uh i so i do have a question on that point yep. because um it is uh, or a question for the group um uh, which is uh, do, so you've you've uh stated uh, a couple of times dave that that he becomes an unreliable uh, uh unreliable narrator and my question is uh does anyone actually believe that he was a reliable narrator to begin with is there a starting point or was this was it the thing the entire time it was the thing the entire time the opening line of the um the entire tale is uh, there are 18 one for each trespass is the thing he literally he hears it in it's in mm. his head he's like what what did you say mm. um on the plane like that's the opening line yeah. of the story so his flight into hong kong uh it's something i think that that's happened before mm. and okay. it just keeps happening because he's in, he's in a cycle it's just going to continue right forever yeah yeah. So yes, the, he he's unreliable the entire time. We you okay? You go into this uh, not understanding that until I think maybe the, the last three fourths of the story. Yeah. yeah. Because unless you're looking at this line by line and like really paying attention to every little sentence, um, stuff gets you can just it'll get dropped off. Like I. I yeah, listened to yeah. this several times, and like the cadence of the um the audio narration is is fantastic. Um, but it it's like a, almost a three hour long audiobook, right? Versus <laughs> like forty five minutes if you just sit down and read it, which means you yeah. you're you're kind of skipping, you you you're filling in stuff as you're reading yourself. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think it, it, his situation is one that's um, it already was happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he slides into less reliability as the narrative goes on, but he's definitely never one hundred percent a reliable narrator. Um, and I think that's the tricky part about it is like once you get to the end, you understand that very first line. But because he starts slightly more of a reasonable, reliable narrator, and then begins the begins like a descent further down the path, it tricks you into thinking you know it's not necessarily what it is, you know. Yeah, everything's fairly straightforward, I think, until he probably picks up the wig, mm. uh, and then <laughs> he's visibly like personally kind of going off the rail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so so the the story in a in a capsule is the framework of say Jacob's ladder. 
where that that yes. that movie itself is never reliable. Like you understand the situation, but the entire movie like doesn't happen. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Whereas, whereas in contrast, this is oh the only thing that's happening. You you can't. Your question is like maybe your question is when did this happen like what what cycle is this i and that's Mm. not answerable yeah right yeah um so i guess uh a follow-up to 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 my previous question would be uh is is this our our did the do do we believe that these events happened or are they are they like a creation of of the the state that Royce now exists in? Because uh, one of the things that's really no- notable in the story to me is how often he he states that a person that he meets in Hong Kong reminds him of somebody else that he knew while growing up, and it feels like yeah, okay, so like the these these physical manifestations of these people are made to look like people that he knows but are set in different roles um mm. is is this an is this entire experience of fabrication was he ever like a corporate espionage person you know we don't have we don't get that 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 information in the story because the the story is about these series of events but it always felt the deeper I got into it, it, the more and more it felt like I don't believe that he was ever like a like what he claims that he is, and that this is all some sort of um, you know. Let's take a jumble of memories and how you f- perceive yourself and and mess with you that way. Um. It doesn't give an answer to that specifically, but I think, having gone to this a few times, that the the key to that, uh, for me, is when he's relating his story of being undercover and working in the um, the factory where the the, the Russians um, like put him in a box, mm-hmm. which which didn't happen. So he's right. re- he's relating the story to impress. A, a lady and um he's relating it and admitting that yeah that's not what happened like to himself he's saying like yeah that i'm telling her a mm. lie but um the the lie is so close to what prob what i imagine would have happened had they caught me mm-hmm. uh that mm. that i still like i feel the confines of the box i feel like it, it's it's no less real because of that fabrication so by extension this whole experience is that same thing where it doesn't matter if it happened or not because it's it's so um tangible to him that that's the point Mm. but yeah i don't i don't think that these events happened because like you mentioned every almost every single person he meets is a um a ghost or a fabrication of someone that like he had met before like their their analogs um or do- or some in some cases like doppelgangers um 
here is a here's a section um i will read this uh whenever royce caught sight of agatha ward he instantly revisited the summer with aunt cj and shuddered but couldn't look away indeed royce cultivated a morbid preoccupation not only with miss ward and the whole tribe of female elders miss tuttle and miss fox the inseparable canasta partners irma yarbrough the emaciated wasp from yonkers who made no secret her dislike of the far east and its inhabitants miss grant who'd lost her legs to diabetes and trolled the quadrangle in a motorized wheelchair and solemn miss cardin an inveterate smoker with a button in her trachea he fixated upon their poolside clashes knitting parties and weekly luncheons at the community annex these women brought to mind so many seniors he'd known over the years familiar in the interchangeable way of babies they were the ghosts of teachers librarians and neighbors who'd populated his childhood although they didn't behave in the torpid desultory manner of the other seniors so he he gives similar associations to like almost everybody that he meets um mm -hmm. are remind him of something or somebody or the um the young woman that he uh ends up in a weird relationship with um is like basically the spitting image of his uh ex-girlfriend from college <laughs> mm, yeah and it's even weirder because then she's so I'm wondering if uh, the people appear to you as you as you need them to be, but then you are the same case for anyone else you meet. Um, so the, the the lady mentions that uh, Royce himself uh, is a reminds her of a, a a terminal patient that she that she had taken care of. Yes. Mm. So in that manner, with the, with a few exceptions, because we do find that um, Agatha Ward uh, is a a she's a a stand-in for his aunt CJ, but um, only because that's what he what she needs him to see. Um, she and the other ladies are, mm. in fact, um, caretakers of this particular segment of the place where he is yeah so yeah. yeah um i i think that that's what's being conveyed like that like th this if this happened it didn't happen in the way that he's experiencing it like it's it's fresh every time um mm -hmm. but it has to maintain um, that sense of familiarity it's couched in like his experiences um, because then it becomes m extra meaningful for him when everything starts falling apart because he's right. being punished mm. yeah no that that tracks that makes sense um uh yeah that was one of the that was one of the things reading it because i kind of i think it's the first time that that time and and his narration kind of slips um mm. between one one thing that he's doing like directly into a different thing and there's no graceful transition into it um which happens fairly early on um that's when the the oh this is Jacob's ladder uh 
thought kind of germinated because it it's because every all the details are so exacting up until this point it just it it's very it's very well executed how it slips into and then i was doing this and then now i'm talking about a completely different event at a different time um and and there has been no like literary transition into it i was i that's when i started questioning whether this series of events was was a construct or whatever the case may be but yeah it makes sense that these are are still like they they are they are players in you're projecting onto other people that are also projecting onto you while experiencing these series of events mm, yeah the um yeah, and the way this it actually um the way this wraps up uh reminded me strongly of um in the mouth of madness. Yeah. Mm. Um and 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 also um you know the the works of Ligotti. Um, yeah. Just mm-hmm. by by default by nature of of <laughs> of what is what is said and what is done and its location um yeah it, it it's evocative of of those of those sources as well mm-hmm. yeah uh I, and i think for the 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 visual the strikingly visual nature of the the writing of this um probably my my favorite bits are when so Royce is, uh, has a lot of security footage and then just like he hires um, a local kind of punk kid to, uh, <laughs> to spy on these, these ladies because he's, he's trying to get dirt on um, a coin. And uh, the kid's just like, I think, I think it's he went four times to follow them because the the ladies that they they call this the procession of the black sloth. Um, they leave the um, the Lord Valley Arms compound um, at night and just kind of like trail off into the city somewhere. And he thinks mm. that that's weird, so he um, sends the kid to check on that. And then the kid comes back. And he's like, "I'm not doing this anymore." Like he's like, "It's." it's i'm not uh, it's not worth like the money you're giving me and i don't want mm. more money i'm just not gonna do it and all my friends are like no one's gonna help you like yeah, no yeah. one can help you is what he's kind of boils down to and he he watches like the four videos but then um a fifth uh video ends up pops up and he's like that's weird because there he he stopped recording them there's there's only supposed to be the four videos and uh he watches that and it it just becomes um not uh it's not a recording that the kid like could have probably taken yeah and that's the one where he he sees um what he who he first thinks is his aunt um Uh, or just a woman in a nurse uh, outfit um, going to this sort of uh, like a rundown concrete building and then just repeating like D-U, D-U, and 
showing these uh, doorways with placards above them, but each of them mm. are like the the crushing hell, and then um, the mountain of knives. Yes, mountain of knives. And yep. he's he's <laughs> like, that's this is weird. <laughs> uh, and he had also he's been watching like variety like local variety tv shows because that's just what's on tv um but those aren't reliable either because they're weird game shows or they're he's um he calls out a specific film he's like i was watching this one horror film he's like that's not my bag i don't really care for these um but it's (laughs) a man uh crying for his child or his wife and he's climbing this mountain of knives and they're like okay that's Mm. weird and like well Look, there's a there's a specific uh, hell of um, uh, mountain of knives, um, and it just sort of comes to a head in these in these videos that he ends up watching, and then one that he unwittingly sort of gets caught up in, and that's that's the I think the largest break in um, events is he's in his apartment. Um, watching the video and then all of a sudden as the video like wraps he realizes he's in the movie theater yeah how how did he get from point a to point b and no one can answer him that and he's nowhere near the uh the hotel uh yes and the security at the at at the hotel it does not can't account for yeah they're like you never left (laughs) Mm, yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's really good i yeah yeah. there's a lot of good Mm -hmm. stuff in here a lot of good stuff that (laughs) i i i i I like um i liked uh, um even though once again i really like absolutely immediately and once again i know he's he's a he's relatable but not likable, but man, it was, um, unlikable, uh, uh, framing, uh, uh, framing characters. I, I always, uh, uh, resist calling them protagonists just because it's the point of view doesn't make them protagonists. Um, but, uh, unlikable framing characters are re- are always a, a real trick to get me on board with. And I, um, like immediately was like, Oh, I, I, I don't like you, dude. And <laughs> kind of um, like, I, I'm not wishing that anything bad will happen to you, but given the nature of the story and th- what I'm reading it for, something bad's going, something bad is going to happen. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> Maybe you can pull it back. Maybe you can get me on back on your side, but I don't think so. Yeah, I think of all the characters, the most likable one was probably Coin. Didn't feel like yes. he was doing anything wrong. And just like, this, mm. what? He just got caught up in some something. Um, Which is, yeah. is, is super weird because he's the person that Royce pins, like pegs the, mm. the, the espionage on like immediately, like... Yeah, when he has the the meetings with the the overseers of of the factory, he's like, "Yeah, it's this guy," and I'm just like, "Wait, yeah. where, when did we establish this? You just got here. <laughs> well, how do you know this?" Like, um, and I wonder. I, and I think. Go ahead. Yes. 
Oh, I was just like, you know, I I don't know anything about you. You say you do all this stuff, but no, you've, you've shown me nothing to prove that you are <laughs> capable of doing this job. So you're mm. going to need to exp- explain your process to me of why you think this guy's like pulling, like stealing uh, corporate secrets. Uh, and hey, guess what? That never that never comes up. No, it doesn't. And uh, there's also, I don't believe there's anything about Coin uh, or even Coin's mother that um, puts Royce in mind of anything else. Like, there's not a, hey, Coin looks like this or his mother looks like someone else. Like, there's that's not there. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Aside from Royce's relationship with his own mother. Um, and the fact that he's seeing some of their stuff in their, in their apartment, it's like, Hey, I have that same bookshelf. Like he, he calls out right. a couple of things that she has and the way that coin relates to his mom and the things that his mother's into are, are, are bits that, uh, they're not one-to-one, but they're things that, um, Royce like uses to sort of uh put himself in good graces with them but there's that that feeling of like if he's lying to himself like even you can't trust even if he when he's saying that oh my mom did this but really she's this so i i like i don't know if that puts um coin as like an original stand-in for royce uh Mm. or if coin is a person that if these events something to this order happened uh that he like basically may have indicted like an innocent guy Mm. i think i i i i read it because he royce does does like draw analogies between himself and coin um, frequently throughout the story, yeah. Uh, and one one of the notes is that um, that when Coin's father died, he packed up his mother and moved her out to Hong Kong with him, so she wouldn't be in the care of of um, you know uh, less supportive, less uh, willing family members. And I do believe that at some point Royce just remarks that he like. Oh yeah, it's like during the opening flight when he's when we're establishing, he's like, um, yeah, I uh, I used or the Griff uh, is uh, yeah, I used this money to you know secure a nursing home for my mother. Um, yeah, so it's just like kind of like yeah, this is what I did, and I don't believe. Oh, and Royce also re- remarks that he doesn't believe that Coin is in any way altruistic, which. Once again, we're not given provided any evidence of this, and this is like immediately when he starts the job. So I'm just mm. like, where is this coming from? You just you don't even. It really seems like you don't know this guy and you dislike him. And I'm like, oh, is this because it's he's like a mirror of like a better version of you? <laughs> yeah, and that could be, and particularly looking at the spelling, like Royce R O Y C E, and then Coin C O Y N E. Like that's a weird uh, last right. name. Yes. Yeah. And that 
it's not like an you know an anagram, but it's very close. And I don't think that right. that's accidental. <laughs> um, so that coin could be like what he could have been, because he, he mm-hmm. you know he he does envy coin. He's like, oh, you know his, uh, he he's in. He, we're about the same age. He stays in shape. He does these like everything's on a schedule he does his laps he goes to the gym he invites me but i'm just like i'm not (laughs) concerned with that like i'd rather just sit in the sauna and have my beers and whatever so it feels like the structure and the stability of coin's life is what royce may have wanted for himself Mm -hmm. or maybe he had those things at one time and then it just fell apart Right. Yeah. Because he he does he he does that. He has like a sort of even arc and then it just goes downhill because he just starts he falls back in he falls into his bad habits. Like he can't maintain um a stable life. Like his 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 work is um it's not divorceable from his like outside life. Because he spends all of his time, he's doing his job, and then when he's not doing that, he's doing stuff to do his job. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I I, I feel that their uh, coin is like it's not that idea of innocence lost, but maybe something where um, he his response his guilt and responsibility are being like split Mm. and he's royce um, may not even may not even be real and it not royce um coin may not be real but maybe a foil for him to like have to look at himself harder Mm. because the whole point of this is him understanding like what what he's done and to atone for it Right. Yeah. Until he can be absolved. Mm, yeah, very uh, purgatory-ish. Yeah, I mean, he's... So, the long and short of it is he's in some version of uh, a Buddhist hell. And he's mm. reliving it over and over and over. And it's... Um, there That can take thousands of years. Or longer. <laughs> mm. Um or a day there, it it does take a thousand years for a day to pass. Uh, but the one thing that's a little confusing is um, he meets up again with his informant, and the the kid basically says, "Oh, you the you had the drink of forgetfulness, and that's wearing off, and so now you're like beginning to mm. see what's happening," and um, that that's a thing uh and in mm. chinese mythology when a soul is given the drink of forgetfulness it's it's to get them to forget all the hells and be reborn um it, it, it mm. it's, it's to uh help with reincarnation like it, it sets you back at zero so you can do your next yeah. life um and and not be burdened with all the stuff that you you just suffered through in order to cleanse you to be reborn right 
So I don't see like if he's given the drink the forgetfulness, but he's that just puts him in a position to where he has to relive it again and again and again, but be fresh each time until he realizes it. Yeah. So it's worse, I guess, that way. <laughs> if you yeah. Just... Oh yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's definitely being used as a punishment in this yeah. case. Um, which is kind of ironic, uh, not ironic, uh, interesting because, uh, when, when he, uh, awakes after the 18 hells, uh, line that he hears, um, he immediately acknowledges, uh, an empty glass with some melted ice and vodka in it. Um, and he is constantly drinking throughout the entire story. So, uh, I, and I think that's also one of the reasons why I asked if, if he was the person that he was claiming to be, because, you know, to me, I'm just like, oh, drink forgetfulness. Did they just like, did he just literally end another cycle and they like <laughs> gave him a drink and then set up this, in, this new elaborate scenario on the airplane flying into Hong Kong. So they could mm. just immediately start torturing him again. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it might be that might be the case, um, particularly with the way this like sort of bookends itself with him uh, being guided because you don't uh, you don't go through all of the hells. You have like your personal one for right. whatever you. Do. I mean, you can go to multiple of them because they're each of them are based on a particular sin you did, uh, and you can get stuck in a, more than one. But generally, you're, mm. you're put into one, and then you serve your sentence, and then you're released to be reincarnated again. And then hope you mm. do better the next time. Uh, so he ha- you know, he's not in... Uh, it's weird, because he's not in the Black Sloth Hell. He's in, an un- right. he's in something else. He's in an unnamed one. It's, I think it's the, the um, mirror viewing hell or something there's one where you're 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 supposed you're supposed to sit and watch all the stuff you did and you watch it forever ah. and that's um mm-hmm. the, the the demon that's um uh agatha ward is uh tells him like you know to, um because it the the, the chinese hells are like bureaucratic they're mm-hmm. the, the hells themselves, the punishment isn't always a physical thing. It could be a mental one. He's more in a mental one because right. he, he's not really ever physically harmed. He's, he's, yeah. he's yeah. psychologically harmed like a lot. <laughs> uh, but none of the dangers being presented are like to him physically. Like he's not in physical danger. It may feel like he is. Uh, mm. and a few times other people get caught up in it instead. Mm. Like the, the, he's basically shown other people being punished for something. And that is his punishment. It's mm. uh, is that thing to understand that the, the, his, his actions have consequences for other people, not just himself. Right. Uh, and the things that he does, he needs to, um, needs to understand that and and take like responsibility for it like personal responsibility uh and that's probably not going to happen or if it does it's a very very long way away uh mm. because at the end, end of this all he does is realize that oh i'm in a hell and it's it's happened before and it's going to just keep happening but um i like he's not um 
we know he's not accepting it because at the end he rips his own eyes out rather right. than mm. watch his past yes. lives again. So like <laughs> that, it ends in a way that's like, no, you, you did all this and it's going to keep happening because you still don't get it. Like yeah. you're still not willing to like accept it. Right. Um, uh, oh, so I, I did want to, uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting, um, and I wonder if it r relates to the previous cycle, um, is, um, the, uh, sequence in the airplane bathroom, uh, because I, I do recall him, like, wondering if it was a jawbone, but most strikingly, mm. like, is that part of, like, a skull with the hair? only because it seems to come back when he uh, discovers and starts wearing the wig. And I'm like, what, like, did you just get, did you, did you get your head smashed in, in your last cycle? Like, did you get, get the top of your head sheared off? And they were like, oh yeah, we can use that. Just put it in the bathroom and then, you know, throw him a wig later on <laughs> just to kind of hammer it home it's uh once again it's you know i'm not i'm not saying that that's actually what happened but because the story is open to a a, a level of interpretation that it is i'm like is that what what th these things are trying to communicate to me because i do think that it's interesting because um I can't remember the uh, the name of the uh, woman that he becomes involved with. I don't remember her name either. <laughs> um, because they they one of the things that that is noted in the story is that uh, she moved into an apartment um, in the uh, in the complex that uh, had had a fire. Yeah. Um, and the previous family moved out, and when he, because he's a big, uh, gross creep that uh, doesn't understand boundaries and is awful, uh, breaks into her apartment while she is out of town. Um, it is still burnt, and uh, but still contains all of her stuff. And I'm like, is that mm. like a, is that like a reference to her previous cycle? Because it, it I, I think it's fairly explicit that that um that it's not just uh royce's hell that the these people once again he's projecting uh what these people look like um to him but they are also separate individuals that are um also experiencing their own like nightmare like a weird shared nightmare kind of like silent hill 2 actually is that what it looks like? Or, yeah, they look like monsters to you. Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it has Miss Jackson. Um, yeah, I don't... Uh, because he's surprised by, like, the burnt-out apartment, um, mm -hmm. I feel like whatever happened there or to her was her own thing. But she's okay. also trapped in... Because her ultimate punishment is... Um, the like the hell of drowning right mm. so i don't know <laughs> uh that's it it could i i don't want to say it's just a set piece because it's usually picked for a specific reason so it 
some stuff feels like set piece like the um elvira the 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 homeless <laughs> the, the vagabond with the long hair is you know that's um uh like samara from the ring like that's what that's right doing is that long-haired ghost but it's the thing is um a lot of baron's work uh so i mentioned this i think but in the in the, the green room um but all almost all of the characters um are named after other authors uh that mm-hmm. baron enjoys their work but sometimes references in the story are made to are they're not um they're inspired by <coughs> scenes from other stories also mm-hmm. which is the case i okay. believe with um elvira and the 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 little ones so he's like the children like no the little ones don't don't let them catch you <laughs> is from another story where there's a weird crawling child-sized things that like murder people so he's he's it's it's homage you know wrapped in his own story so it's hard to break down some of the scenes because though that's what they may be mm-hmm. is just like he watched a movie and liked a particular way that a scene played <laughs> out and just kind of borrowed it or you know used right. that as a, a set piece interesting but yeah that that did leave me wondering like where if if miss jackson is her own person in her own hell that's a lot of like is that just the way she died in a fire and then has to be drowned to redeem her whatever like it's so she's ostensibly in this his version of her she's uh like a, a rogue cia agent going around and she's a spy um (laughs) that that, that he didn't like ferret out like so is she just the representation of the person he he was supposed to have caught but then caught the royce i mean coin guy instead like he found the wrong person and then he got caught up with a, a a mob and killed i you know we don't know how his life like played out like what actually may have happened right but it does make it fun to like oh, guess oh. <laughs> yeah it's it's there's 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 one um sequence in the story that really kind of stood out to me um <laughs> where he's talking about being in a butcher stop um yeah. uh, mm. as 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 a child like on a hot like summer day and um patrons uh swiping at flies with their parasols and i'm like that's a that's a thing that like but like being in a butcher shop with a parasol is a thing that doesn't happen in the 21st century like yeah was he even did he ever even exist in like the 20th century uh, did, was he like some like street urchin in in like the tens where their people would go to butcher shops with parasols? It's uh, I mean I'm 
I can't actually say I'm sure of anything, but I, it, it <laughs> stuck out with me, to me because I'm like, that is, it, it's, it's too deliberate, like, of uh, 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 visual evocation uh, to, like, just be accident. And I'm like, because, you know, he seems really bad at his job as, like, the investigator. He he talks about, like, wiretapping stuff and, like, um, he has telescopes and, and binoculars and, like, safes and safe boxes. Like, everything that you'd expect somebody who says they do that kind of work to, like, invest a lot of time and money in. But he's almost never, like, pursuing his actual job um, competently, in my opinion. No, he's never even really doing it. He's, like passively mm. doing his job he says right <laughs> right so i'm just like you 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 died when there wasn't even electricity and now they just tricked you into believing <laughs> that you're a corporate espionage person uh it, it it's fun it's uh i i like i said i i had a lot of fun like once I realized what this story was doing, um, kind of going through it extra carefully um, was, was mm. a, a good time, and and I appreciate that they kind of, I, I you know once again um, I think we have uh, a, an ascended level of of horror literacy that we we can all tell that this is oh this is what we're doing this is a Jacob's ladder. Um, so, um, you know, getting to that that point really quickly instead of like getting to the end of the story and being confused um, is nice because I, I, I don't have a lot of time. Um, and while I wish I could read things more than once, my schedule simply doesn't allow it most of the time. So being able to just kind of go through it carefully because I figured out what the story was doing um, really, really helped. Yeah, and that's um with the majority of Baron's works, they're I don't feel that they 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 kind of do this a little bit in this collection, in the Imago sequence, but it's not um this is probably the most like obtuse of them. Mm. Like you generally you, you understand maybe about if not from the word go from halfway point, like what's probably going to happen because Baron uh, enjoys killing off his characters. And the idea of this <laughs> um, doomed protagonist is his thing. It's actually, it's very, very infrequently where you're like, Oh, Hey, they got away, <laughs> but it's probably not like unscathed. <laughs> like, Usually, it's something's bad. Like, if it didn't happen now, it's gonna happen later. Okay. And they yeah. and they and they have to like acknowledge that. Yeah. And uh, he he does that really well. And then it's a few times you're going like, oh yeah, I think that okay, this is gonna end up. I see where it's going, and then oh, nope, rugs rugs pulled right out from under you. Okay, <laughs> great, thanks. <laughs> I liked that person, and now they're gone. And 
that's that's something that um bounces around because you'll you'll get um varying degrees of like people warranting empathy mm-hmm. like they're not like it's sort of like oh yeah a bad thing can happen to them and i'm not gonna feel bad about it and then some people it's like well no i think that they're just they're more of an everyman and hopefully they nope didn't make it <laughs> So you get, you get, even when they have, so maybe it's especially when they have their flaws, you can kind of get attached to some of the characters uh, because they are, um, they're well laid out as far as like having a voice. Like you you get what they're about. If not, you know, you don't have maybe a full past for them just because these are short stories. So they're not, there's the space to develop like, a uh ongoing character or giving their you know a history it's not there it's not like necessary uh but you you understand them and if they if there's space for change it's more just like realizing that the world is really bad and <laughs> the best you can do is to like not you do better to not understand that like everyone else, right. like no one's, you know, truly happy, but finding out the truth of like the world is like the worst thing you could do. Like you don't mm. want to know yeah. usually because that ends up like changing you in some irrevocable way that's for the worse. And that happens to quite a few um, of the characters throughout throughout his um, stories is they they find out this terrible like truth and it alters them even like physically and they are they're not human or they die or it's it's bad ends for everybody generally Mm -hmm. yeah but getting into like the connectivity part is a lot of fun there's a there's a big through line um in this collection in particular but and then through his, his his barren verse i guess uh has specific entities that kind of show up again or analogs of them and figuring out like that what that is and seeing more of their influences on the world i think becomes like that that's the funnest part is getting and going okay yeah i recognize this particular entity and i see their hand in this tale and i want to see i want to know more about them and so you have to kind of dig through other stories and get little little tidbits here and there to to kind of get the the bigger picture of the the nastiness um kind of behind everything. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think of that this story is maybe um it's outside of that um uh, not in scope of like what's going on to the characters but in it's it's because it's a self-contained uh punishment tale like it, it doesn't mm-hmm. really have much to do with the other stories aside from maybe a, a mention of a character name okay so it's yeah. self-contained it's, yeah it's it's a little it's self-contained thing. in as much i guess as any of these things can be um the the ideas of this hell cycle isn't uh it's not it doesn't appear again but the uh, Baron's idea of time is like a novel one. And in reading a few of the other tales, you start to understand that 
he deals in cycles. Mm. Uh, and it's, okay. um, I would say it's, the outlook on it is Buddhist Hindu kind of thing where it's cycles mm. of um, rebirth and destruction. Yes. Uh, and there's a lot of, uh, don't really want to call them elder gods. They're not gods. They're just entities that are just really mm. old. And uh, at certain times in the cosmic scheme of things they're they're more prevalent than others um mm. when when uh, like waxing when, and yeah waning. when the conditions are right uh their yeah. influence is more felt usually it's because of um i can't say seasons because it's it's too long of a scale uh but basically large cataclysmic events like the the um the end of the dinosaurs or the ice age like that yeah time period where everything's darkened is when they pop up and oh, okay. they're yeah. uh they in they they can change mankind into like servitors uh who are trying to like affect changes globally to make conditions to where it's favorable for these creatures to like reemerge again. But for now they're generally in like the the cracks between the worlds, like they're they're hidden in the dark spaces of the earth um or some of them are more cosmic, cosmic things that come down from the universe and pop by to like have a snack. So it's, Remember, it's, kids, every, yeah. everything's Lovecraft, everything's Bloodborne, everything's Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah, and yep. Baron's in that, but I feel like his his written voices it's it's enough of its own thing to where I really was I, I don't want to rely on uh, Lovecraftian tropes because he does his own stuff. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, 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 yes. It is. It is. It is. Adjacent. Yeah. It's a. It's a disservice to, service to go like. Oh, this is mm-hmm. like it's not really. Um, it's yeah. weird. Weird fiction. And yeah. it's like yes, exactly. It's. Is it fate? It's fatalistic. It's not nihilistic. It's not to the level that. Lagadi kind of sits in, but it's mm. it's in the same space. It's right. like at the edge of that circle. It 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 it's it's the knot between two separate pieces of rope, and what is 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 Lagadi's nihilism and, and yeah, um, uh, he's uh, Laird Baron is like really good friends uh, with um John Langan another mm-hmm. um, current uh, they're like the same roughly the same age uh they're you know they they respect each other and they they've been in collections together and like they just they're good friends uh but they're in that same thing where like it's not this collection i think it's occultation 
Um, but there's a story at the very end where it's um, uh, Laird Baron uh, puts himself in a story and um, John Lennon and also Ligotti and a couple other like authors. They're like all by their last names, like Mr. L. And it's it it's a tribute to um, Ligotti's particular brand. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very good, and it's like a terror. At the same time, it's like horribly depressing because it's 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 a Legati mm. story, but you know, right. done by by um, Baron in in a way that's like a, a tribute, but still, uh, I, I don't know. It's a weird tone. It's not mocking him. Um, it's a, a, a respectful fear. <laughs> it's taking. I think Ligotti at face value and um, kind of putting him on a weird pedestal. Mm. Okay. Because there, there's a lot of puppets. I'm just going to say. Yeah. So. Okay. There's a puppet there's, verse. There's yeah. a clear, clear <laughs> level of reverence. Oh in, yeah. In the work. Yeah. And it's, it's, but... um it's done in a way because they're, they, the authors are, the protagonists in the story and it it ends poorly right. <laughs> it's, it just yeah goes yeah. bad <laughs> um but it's done it's done in a way that's like um it's kind of like those uh, uh celebrity roasts i think mm. where you're like making okay. he's not making fun of anybody he's just like saying that he's basically putting legati in the place of a cosmic kind of god thing that's manipulating the world as and everyone's a puppet that doesn't know it yet it's it's very it's very good it's a good story (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's clear where his like respects like lie um Mm -hmm. and his influences and uh because um baron takes the time to like call out other authors in his characters like he, he has he sees no compunction and like i'm gonna name whatever this guy and they're probably all gonna die but um it's not in a way that i think some authors have been upset by it but usually they're just like oh thanks for killing me in your story you know <laughs> that kind of <laughs> like it's it's a it's a, a, a praiseworthy thing to to have him dispatch you uh, uh through a novel mm-hmm. yeah Mm. Anyway, basically, just go read more Laird Baron. It's very good. Yes, yes, it's quite delightful. Yeah. Well, uh, Cameron, did you have any other things um, for this? I think we went through it all. But if there's a scene or something that you wanted to remark on, now's the time. Um. Yeah, I think I touched on most of it. Um, just the the brief descriptions we get a few of a few of the chambers i think is just great because some of them are very straightforward uh like the chamber of maggots um, where you are chained up and there are maggots um <laughs> but the the chamber of the black sloth of course is i said early on um sort of horrendously evocative um and yeah i just I like the sort of open-endedness of it, like what particular trespass or, you know, sin or whatever it 
represents the punishment for is not laid out 100%. Um, but just the idea of this big museum glass case display of and of a big black uh, prehistoric sloth being this thing that draws throngs of people towards it to the point where they crush each other under their own weight is like horrendous in an unusual way. Like it's got this really weird feeling to it that is is hard to pin down. It is like esoteric and eldritch and a bit SCP-ish, but it is its own thing. And um, you uh, you gave us a link to they who dwell in the cracks, a, a blog that sort of looks at Laird Baron's works. Um, on their article about this, they have a great little bit of art of that particular chamber, uh, and it is a pretty good capture of it. I think it, I think it gets across the the basic feelings. Um, yeah, no, it's really really good this book overall, and um, the the interpersonal reactions of these people are all sort of floundering through this you know, unknown hellscape where everyone's sort of dark reflections of people from their own lives um, still managed to come across relatively normal. Like, these are these are people. Um, yes. They're well-fleshed-out characters, which I really liked, especially, um, you know, his interactions with Coin. Uh, I think the, the two of them sort of getting on as uh, he sort of targeted him as the centre of this investigation was a, was a really nice touch. Uh, you know, begging, begging, um, Royce to come along to lunch with his mother and all the local old women, etc. That kind of stuff. Yeah, I I enjoyed all of those. Oh, one thing I th um that really cements the idea of these personal hells, like being it's tailored to your mm. memory, uh, is mm. is that. Um, the black sloth itself was a, a misheard thing and it was supposed to be the, the, the chamber of the black weasel and he had just heard uh, yeah. sloth and that called back specifically a trip to, you know, in his childhood a to a museum to see like mm. the megala sloth, I don't remember the specific name of it, yeah. but um, he saw that the specimen um, the, the prehistoric <laughs> specimen and it, it frightened him as a child so that mm that took precedence over the actual uh, um, black weasel hell. And yes, his mind maybe came up with something for him is worse than mm. the, the, the official version of that hell. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, that's the, that's the nature of this is like everything, uh, anything you imagine is going to be worse than the actual thing. So if you make make up a place of punishment that's suited only to your imagination, then it's going to be bad. Right. Yes. Yeah. Quite. <laughs> yeah. I, I. This is something that I. I will. I will return to again. Just to. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I read it a couple times, and I. Um, uh, it, 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 all of his tales that I've gone through a few more um, repeatedly, mostly because they are so dense, so they do benefit from second or third, uh, you know, listenings or readings and going through like a little, you, you mm. can go through these um, with as fine of a tooth comb as you'd like, because there's always something to kind of dig up, or you can just really enjoy a spooky tale 
and and sometimes that's 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 the uh the well worth the price of admission yeah but yeah i think that that brings us to a close for this particular episode so we will do our admin bits and then let you all go uh, until next time when we'll cover something else because i don't know what's mm. on the slate for for 2022 <laughs> we'll uh something fun um yeah mm-hmm. so leonard where can folks find you on the interwebs Yes, people can find me on Twitter at Dr. Faust is Dead and also on Twitter at Umbra Knox Productions. Uh, I've uh, made uh, the very fullest decision to start production on a new uh, video essay uh, covering Persona 5, a game that I have a lot of opinions of (laughs) and on... um, so yeah keep an eye out for that that might be like a month or two away but if you want to hear what i think about persona 5 at some point in the future uh you can look forward to that um and uh cameron where can people find you on the internet uh you can find me primarily on twitter at night underscore twitten that's night without a k um get getting in that 2022 posting um by which i mean i'm diligently avoiding posting um but i'm on there and i'm sure i'll post pictures of my cat and stuff like that as the year rolls on and just you know ease back into it toes back in the water Uh, (laughs) and dave where can we find you and our illustrious podcasts archives you can find me on Twitter at sentinot underscore plus. That will be in the show notes as always. And you can find the show's Twitter at mon underscore D monster and the show itself at monster deer dot monster. And that's, that's us uh, for this week. I will also mm-hmm. put a link to they who dwell in the cracks because there's some phenomenal, uh, super deep dives into uh, probably about six um, of uh, Laird Baron's tales uh, far, far beyond what we've had any kind of time to, to dig into. Um, but I will direct everyone that way. I don't think the site's been updated since like 2016, but it's still worth it um, for those <laughs> few tales. Um, yeah, mm, absolutely. Yeah. So that's us signing off. We will catch you guys in a week. And uh, that's uh, bye-bye, folks. Bye. Bye.